We're going to take a moment to pray. This is, I was telling Eric, this is my favorite gospel passage. I could probably do an entire series on this passage. Uh, So we're not going to do that, but we're going to try and fly over it at a very high level today, and then maybe some other time we'll do a series on it. I love Luke 10, so let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll dive into it. God, thank you for your word here, and um, God, thanks for Jesus and and just the profound uh, words that he spoke and and that we've received now through uh, the authors of the the Gospels. Uh, God, would you open our hearts to receive them into our lives now? Just would they jump off the page now as we're studying them? Um, would you convict us that need to be convicted in this room of, of places you, you need us to step further in in faith? Would you encourage those of us who've come feeling a bit kind of weary and heavy? Um, you meet us in that space, God. Thank you that you do that. And you get, we get to do it in community. Thanks for that as well. So much to be thankful for, God. I'll give you this time. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've thought of this. We're, we're doing this series, by the way, if you're just stepping into Bethany on um, what disciples do. And so we've, this is like a five-week series. We're on the fourth of five. So gather, grow, go, and the next week is give. So I'm <laughs> not expecting to see many people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I hope to see you all next week. It's give. But, and by the way, it's not attached to any sort of campaign or anything. It's just this invitation that all of life in response to Christ is, is intended to be a life of generosity. So it does include the financial part of our lives, but it's way bigger than that. So we'll talk about that next week. But today we're on go. I don't know if you thought of this, but um, there are actually four great commissions. I've talked about this before, but we've all probably, if you've been around the church for any length of time, memorized the so-called great commission from Matthew 28, 17. What does it say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you, right? We've got that locked and loaded. We think of that. That's the Great Commission, but there's actually four of them. So there's that one in Matthew. Uh, then if you go to chap- uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it's like the kind of italicized ending of Mark, like it, some commentators say it didn't actually happen, but whatever. Jesus says to the disciples, go and preach all the gospel to all of creation, and I love that notion, especially it appeals to folks like me and Danielle and Joel who love the outdoors. Like Jesus is telling you to go outside. Like you'd be on the trail and preach the gospel there. Preach when you're fishing, you know, like, or let creation preach to you. It's like this beautiful verse. I think it's amazing. And then in the gospel of Luke, actually, if you think of Luke and Acts as, as a two-volume set, so the author of Luke also authored Acts. It's actually in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does Jesus say to the disciples there? Be my witnesses in Judea, oh, sorry, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And there's, so there's this geographic sense to the sending of Jesus. Like it, it involves the places and kind of like a ripple effect. And like if you can think of Jesus dropping a stone in water, there's this ripple, outward ripple effect. And then my favorite is in, in John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And the reason I love that is it's all in the prepositions. Uh, Jesus came with a very vivid life, and he says, now I'm, I'm sending you in the same way as me into other people's lives. It's very, very beautiful. Uh, each one's different. Each is significant. Kind of gives you a texture uh, for God's heart for his people, which is to go. Alan Hirsch, who's a missiologist, one of the missiologists that I eat, study of mission that I really appreciate, he says this, that God is ascending God with a desire to see humankind and creation reconciled, redeemed, and healed. And the church then, or you could say, 
Christians then are by nature sent people. We're a going, it, the church is a going church, always meant to be going, a movement of God through people sent to bring healing to a broken world. I just love that. And, and this sending uh, that, that Jesus articulates throughout the Gospels at the very end is this theological principle kind of known in missiological, theological circles as the missio dei. It's a Latin term for the, the mission of God, the, where John 1.14 says, God sent his son, Jesus lived in the neighborhood, dwelt among us. That's the missio dei. God is, takes the initiative to send himself and then designs us as the church to be sent people. Make sense? Now, when I first heard this concept in seminary, I was a student at Princeton Seminary, and I had this professor named Daryl Guter who came up with the, the word uh, missional, missional church. And it was like electricity. I just had never, I didn't grow up in the church. I'd never heard of this idea. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. This is what I want to do with my life, like mission. Uh, and, and this idea that mission is not, is not what we're doing, but what God does. I love that notion. The pressure is now off, right? Like in the words of the, the theologian Jürgen Moltmann, he said that the church doesn't have a mission to fulfill in the world. That it's, it's the mission of the Son and the Father and the Spirit that includes the church. I love that idea. We're included in the mission of God. Pressure's off. There's a problem, though. Actually, there's a couple of big problems. <laughs> the first problem is that, the, in that sense, the, the missio dei, the mission of God, is so big you can drive a truck through it, right? Like, if, God, if it's the mission of God, of what God's doing in the world beyond the church, I mean, <laughs> what isn't God doing? Like, surely God's at work within Tent City. We drove by Tent City last night uh, with my kids, and uh, they were like, is it a farmer's market? They're like, no. But surely God's at work there, right? As well as the shelter for women that are survivors of domestic abuse. God's at work there too, right? We believe that. Surely God's at work in the public school where your kids go, not just the Christian schools, or the neighborhood park where all the moms gather and play with their kids. I mean, God's got to be at work in the coffee shop and the bar. I mean, he's, he's at work there, right? Uh, maybe as you gather on the TV with your neighbors to watch the Seahawks, or maybe even at the Seahawks game. Like, maybe he's at work there, in the Black Lives Matter march, he's probably, is he work there? Or in the struggle for immigration reform, uh, in, in the refugee community here in Seattle, is God at work there? I mean, so many places God could be at work. Where do, and the problem is here, see, it inspires us to get outside the confines of our church, but then like where, it's like this, like this wild goose chase. Where's God at work? Where's God at work? We can never quite land on it, and we never engage in God's work because we're always trying to find it. That's the first problem. The other problem is like, on the other end of the spectrum is that the, it has to do with the history of the missionary movement. Like missions, the historic connotations we have are people like in Papua New Guinea or in Latin America or in Asia, kind of with the four pocket shirt. I'm sorry if this has ever been one of you, but, and like, oh my gosh, like not doing that great of work sometimes, right? And so like we have, or if you go back in history of the colonial period, the crusades, that endorses violent approach to the expansion of Western culture, especially toward Native people. And like later, we have this mindset of, of sort of Christ against culture, us against them, and missions kind of gets aligned with that. In other words, you have this missionary movement that's been destructive at times, quite destructive, and very complicated. Uh, and why would I want to have anything to do with that? Like, I'm not a missionary. I'm, I write code. I do tax returns. I don't want anything to do with that, right? That missionary thing. I'll let somebody else do that. So the question on the table for us this morning is, 
as you look at the, the mission of God and this huge gap, massive gap between this exciting side of it, like, wow, God's at work in all these places, and this very destructive, harmful side of it. Like, how do we enter into that gap together and really be about this, the God who sent us into the city where we live? How do we engage in that? And uh, your outline, if it were in front of you, but if you have a bulletin you'd like to take notes there, or whether or not you're doing that, you could do it on your phone. I saw somebody with like an Etch-A-Sketch. You could do it there. That's cool too. Uh, comes, here's, the, here's the outline. There's basically three core needs that surround the mission of God. We need to know, I'd say, at least three things. We're going to just look at three, because like I said earlier, there's always three, right? So three core needs that surround this mission of God, and I'll just unpack them as they go, and they all come here in Luke 10, okay? And by the way, there's a lot more to the mission of God than just Luke 10, but I think there's a lot here too, so just hang with it, and then we can have more conversation later. So the first one, we need to develop an understanding of the parameters. There are parameters to the mission of God. So it is expansive, but there's also parameters to that. And this is, is from verse 1 of, of um, chapter 10 in Luke, where, it's, where it says, After this, the Lord appointed 70, or 72 in some translations, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town where he was about to go, okay? And then verse 3 says, Go, I'm sending you, okay? So, but... but that phrase, after this, is, is an indicator of something. And so we often just skip by it. But it's a cue that something has been going on before this, prior to this. And that something is really significant. So if you go back to chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus has just gathered 12 disciples together. He's handpicked these future leaders of the church. You have John, you have Peter, you have Simon. You have all these people, right? And calls them apostles, which is to be sent out. Okay, He sends them out with three kind of orders. Preach, which is to declare the reality of God's reign in people's lives, okay? To cast out demons, which is to liberate people's souls from things that are enslaving them, okay? And then to heal the sick, to, to work to mend bodies, souls, and spirits, to repair kind of the fabric of the world, if you could think of it that way. So to heal, to preach, cast out demons, and to heal the sick. Those are the three things that Jesus did all throughout his life. He preached, he healed, and he cast out demons all the time. And thus the things he empowers and his, calls his disciples to be about, as the Father sent me, so I send you, okay? Now, if we only had chapter 9, not chapter 10, we'd say, that's, <laughs> that's right. Those are, that's what the pastor does up here preaching. That's what the missionaries do, or the parachurch people, young life leaders, crew, I've got NAVs, like those religious professionals. That's their job. They communicate. They know how to liberate people. They do reconciliation work. They're the ones who know how to pray. They're good at it. We pay them to do that, period, Right? I'm sure glad they're doing it too because I, you know, it's not my job. My job, like I said, is teaching or nursing or raising a family or whatever. But proclamation, healing, and deliverance, no, that's not what I do, okay? And if you had chapter 9 only and not chapter 10, you, you could say that. Here's the deal though. We have chapter 10. <laughs> and, and it, 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 you know, it's interesting if you read them and compare them to each other, they're almost verbatim, word for word, the same kind of thing except for one little detail. In chapter 9, Jesus gathers and sends 12. In chapter 10, how many were there? There's 70. Now, why 70? What's the deal with I mean, the careful reader would go, that must have a, a significance. It's, it's, it's not a random number. It's not a big number. It's just 70. And actually, the ancient reader would know, if you're listening to this story early on, the, and the commentators will tell you that this 70 is a reference to Genesis chapter 10. So it's reaching way back in the story of God, where you have this thing called the table of nations. This is right after the flood. 
So you have the flood, Noah, all the, this stuff. And then after, right after that, the waters recede, and you have the names of Noah's descendants before the story goes on, called the Table of Nations. So the sons of Shem, Ham, and Jap, Japheth. <laughs> what a name. And the, if you total that up, the total number of names in the, their sons, the sons of the Japhethites, the Hamites, the Shemites, Semites, are what? Seventy sons. Which was, in Jewish tradition, was just representative of, of the, the nations after the flood that existed on the earth. So it's just another way of Jesus saying, I'm sending 70 to all the people on the earth. Or this is his, it's not just leaders I'm sending. Those were the 12 religious professionals. Those are the 12 church planters, those guys. It's just normal, ordinary, everyday, plain Janes and average Joes. That's who I'm sending. Okay? And if your name's not Joe, then it still includes you. If your name's Joe, definitely you. There's one Joe here, I know, so got to pick on him. As one of my uh, seminary professors is once fond of saying, uh, he says, to be a Christian or to be a follower of Christ is to be a sent one. There's no exceptions. Like, there's no such thing. There's no job description that, for a religious professional in Jesus, kind of, in the gospel. He, everybody who comes into contact with Jesus is then sent by Jesus. 12, 70, and then beyond. We're all in mission. To be a disciple is to be in mission. Maybe put it this way, like Jesus first calls you in to then just send you out. Always calls you in. You don't just know God from afar. You know him intimately. That's what it means to be a disciple. If you want to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, it means that he, he wants to experience closeness with you through intimacy with him, okay? To be healed, to be blessed. That's what, he, that's what Jesus wants to do with you. You don't know him from afar. That's not discipleship, okay? But then... Then he says, when you come into contact with me as I, as I heal you and bless you and, call, and, and I'm intimate with you, at the very same time, I call you out. I send you out. I call you radically out. So I'll give you an example of this. Uh, you remember Abraham? Remember sort of the mission statement of his life? What does God say? I'm blessing you to be a blessing. That's like the mission statement of Abraham's life. And which, which means, I, Abraham, I call you in. I bless you in order to radically send you out into the world, to, to bless the world. That's what you're about. No longer to focus on your own needs, no longer just to gather, defend, and build up your little kingdom, but to go out and live a life of unconditional blessing and complete sacrifice. Like, think of this story of Isaac sacrificing his son. Go out, be a blessing. They go together every time. I mean, you look through the story of God. Moses meets God on the mountaintop. Amazing moments of revelation. None of us have had anything like that. And yet, immediately after encountering God on the mountain, uh, what does he say? Get off the mountain, Moses. Go down. And, and, then, and then bless people through leadership. Or you have Elijah. He encounters God in the still, small voice. Remember this? Deep, deep intimacy. None of us have, I mean, maybe some of us have heard the still, small voice of God. But I'll just tell you, I don't know. Deeply personal. And then what happens? Hey, Elijah, go. <laughs> bless the world through prophetic truth continue to do that work. Mary Magdalene, remember this first person who encounters Jesus after his death. What does she do? She falls at his feet and, and what is, she's clinging to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to her? Stop clinging to me. Bless people, in this case, Peter and John, who've lost hope with a declaration of hope. These are ways we bless people. You see with Jonah, you see with Isaiah, all throughout the Old and New Testament, invitation to intimacy, call to mission, always go together. They're not, they're inseparable, Okay. Uh, 
So Jesus says, go, get out. I'm sending you out to live your life as a blessing, a blessing for others, no longer just for yourself. And this is how this would sound to you, okay, if you were listening. I want you to live radically for other people in a way you never have before, for their needs, for their issues. I want, to, I want you to go into their world. I want you to be a healing agent in their lives and reweave the fabric of, of their, whatever's going on that's ripping and fraying their marriage, their hope, their body, whatever's happening, their heart. Be about that. That's what it means to be sent by Jesus, okay? Uh, and, and by the way, listen to this in, in chapter 10 as well. They're sent by Jesus to go ahead of him into every town that he was about to go himself. So it's never sentness in this abstract sense, like just, where am I going to go today, Jesus? <laughs> every place he was about to go. Do you know what that means? That, uh, what the implications of that little detail are? You know, I, wa- I once heard that when Jesus, when God entered the fully human, uh, entered the f- human story as Jesus, he never, he didn't enter as a disembodied communicator. He wasn't like this spirit just floating around. It was a person. And not just a person, but somebody who learned a language. Jesus probably spoke more than one language, but he learned a language and spoke it. He probably ate certain kinds of food, definitely walked particular paths and roads, and went to specific towns and villages. He had, neighbor, he had a neighborhood, you could say, a zip code. Uh, we have a historical record of Jesus, God. This is amazing. And, and John puts it this way, that Jesus took on flesh and blood and moved into a neighborhood, our neighborhood, you could say. So Jesus wasn't a random wanderer, just rambling around people's lives from one galaxy to the next. Just, we'll see, what, what do you want to do today, God? He had a plan, a particular place that he wanted to go. Uh, it was, and so this sending is a purposed sending, you could say. He's, he's got a purpose for you. Which means, I just think for us, as, by way of application, that we have to take the conditions where God is sending us as, as followers seriously. Because uh, God wants to use you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And there's places where He sent you now. Not somewhere else, not someone else, not some who else. But, but where you live right now in your life is where God is actually at work and where God wants to use you, whether that's in your vocation, in your neighborhood, Maybe it's in this church. You know, the fact that God chose specific time and place to live his life through a particular man in a particular culture, particular roads, means that he's sending you with a certain purpose in mind. Uh, so the Bible's saying, hey, <laughs> look at your life for a moment. Uh, look at your gifts. All of you have gifts. Some gifts are different than other gifts. Uh, not all of us have the same gifts along with your age and your experience and your gender and your ethnicity, all your experiences, not just your joys, but your sorrows. Put those together as a composite picture. What this means is there's some hands that only you can hold. There are some needs only you can meet. There are some demons that only you can cast out of people's lives. There are some people that God has prepared for you to be a healing agent of, uh, to just bring grace into, His grace into their lives. There are some people in, in this world that you need to reach and that God is saying, I have a purpose for you. I'm sending you. That's why I've called you in, intimacy, to send you out. So every one of us is a missionary. Everyone has a mission. And, and I just want you to be thinking about that. Have you thought about that before? Like we think of our mission statement for work. Maybe you, every year, January 1st, 2nd, or 3rd, you have a mission statement for your year, your life, whatever. What's your mission in re- with respect to God, the places He's sending you or sent you, where He has you living right now? 
the job he has you in, the relationships he's surrounded you with, uh, what is he intending to do through you? I want you to be thinking about that because I want to come back to that, what God's purpose is for your life. Um, and I'll have us reflect on that at the end, but just be thinking about that. Let that rattle around a little bit. What is God doing through me? Okay. So we need to develop, there's parameters to this vast mission. We're sent ones. We also, here's the second need, we need to assume a posture that's congruent with that message, mission. So, Develop, uh, we need to understand the parameters, and we need to assume a posture congruent with the mission, okay? And this is in verses 3 to 9 of chapter 10, which is this. Like, if Jesus is sending us, either ahead of him in this context, or maybe as him, as the Father sent me, so I send you, we go as Jesus. Question, well, how would Jesus go, right? Or the, brand, the bracelet, what would Jesus do? <laughs> like, you just, and, and I could just say, hey, there's 89 chapters in the Gospels, read them and do them. Like Nike would just say, just do it. It's simple, like preach the gospel, heal people, cast out demons, forgive, reconcile, live a life of simplicity, humility, service. It's so easy. Like, why aren't we just all doing it? I'm being sarcastic. It's not easy. I mean, think about it. There's a lot to do and be if you look at the life of Jesus. It's like, I mean, it's so convicting. It's sometimes overwhelming. And I go, man, God, I just, that's not, I can't, I'm just Jack. How do I be Jesus in my context, in my work, in my neighborhood, in my marriage? I don't, it's overwhelming. You know, as your pastor, I don't even know sometimes. I feel like I'm failing 99% of the time. There's 1%. So there you go. I'm part of the 1%. <laughs> you know, well, helpfully, Jesus says, hey, don't obsess about that. Instead, in verses 3 to 9 of Luke 10, let me, let me give you, again, there's 70, average everyday disciples. Let me give you just some ways in which you can stand in this posture of faithful witness, okay? And let me read verses 3 to 9 again, because I think it'll help us kind of get that refresh, hit refresh, okay? So listen to this. This is right after he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know that verse. And then in verse 3, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, or verse 2, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out the workers into that harvest. Verse 3, go, I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it's going to return to you. Okay? And then verse 7, stay there eating whatever and drinking whatever's given to you. For the worker deserves his or her wages. Don't move around from house to house. And then verse 8, whenever you enter a house or a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So there's a ton there. Like I said, I could do an entire series on this. But I want to just look at like uh, a few, like let's say three. <laughs> it's a magic number. Three kind of postures we could stand in, I think, that help, for me at least, as I've studied this passage for, for a long time, really relieve some of that pressure around, man, how do I be Jesus, right? Uh, and the first is in verse three, the posture of vulnerability, Okay. So he's saying, hey, go I, go, I send you like lambs among wolves. And it doesn't take a lot. Like, you don't have to be a theologian to understand the word picture here. Like, that's dinner, okay? So, like, and I don't, actually don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Like, hey, I'm going to send you in. It's going to be hard. Persecution. Like, ha- be, on, be on the lookout. Like, all these places, I'm, it's going to be rejection, and you're going to get destroyed. They're going to eat you alive, man. Beware. You know, beware. The world hates you. Hates Christians. Like, I think that's how we understand that sometimes. And it goes down all kinds of negative paths. 
like the world's out to get us. I don't think that was Jesus' point. Actually, I know it's not his point. Here's his point. Uh, if you, you need to remember that this image of lambs and wolves is rooted in the Old Testament, okay? In two, spe- two specific places. So first, Isaiah 40, verse 11. You could also correlate this to Ezekiel 34. But look at Isaiah 40, verse 11 sometime. Jesus, it says of, of Jesus, Jesus tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads and protects them. Ezekiel 34 says something similar. And what that means is Jesus saying, I'm sending these places that I will eventually go, and, and, and I'm going to be with you. I'm the great shepherd. I'm the, the shepherd of the sheep. So yeah, there's going to be things that are going to be hard, but guess what? I'm with you. I'm holding you close. You can take confidence. I'm with you every step of the way. And because I'm with you, I'm going to care for you. You're never alone. I mean, you're, we can depend on Jesus if he really is that. If he, if he is the shepherd of the sheep, so the, the point of vulnerability here is though there are great risks in all of our lives, challenges that we all face. We can be vulnerable and faithful in our witness because God's with us. That's number one, okay? God is always with us, always. Here's the second thing, and this is also in the Old Testament about this lamb-wolf thing. This is on Isaiah 65, 11, and 65 and, and also Isaiah 11, where this image of the wolf lying down with the lamb is articulated. Remember this? Do you know what that means? send you out like lambs among wolves. This is, this is amazing. As we go, and as we go in the posture of vulnerability, we bring heaven to earth. And, which means, as we go in vulnerability, the promised outcome, lamb among wolves, lying down, forgiveness, renewal, justice, healing, freedom, deliverance. That's the promised outcome. The lamb will lie down with the wolf. You can lower your defenses. You don't have to. They're got to get me. <laughs> no, because Jesus is... He's not only your shepherd, but he's promised to work through you. There's great power in vulnerability. Jesus, he will, he will break down all kinds of walls and, and bring all kinds of things in people's lives that you could have never done on your own. Let me give you an example of this. Like I'm, my, my wife and kids are up in Anacortes this weekend. Uh, Elizabeth's dad had back surgery, and so she's up there taking care of him and her mom. And so I'm home alone, and I'm like, I'm a terrible bachelor. Like I just barely even fold my laundry, right? So I'm just like there. So I decided, you know, what do, what do I do? I don't make my own dinner. I go take, get takeout. So I go to the Thai restaurant in the neighborhood last night, and I'm walking, and this neighbor, Frank, is walking down the street. And so I cross the street to talk to him. He's a guy I only ever see walking back and forth. He works in Burien at a Macy's distribution center, classic kind of blue-collar guy, you know, very to himself. I think I've talked to him like three times. So I cross the street, to talk to Frank last night. Hey, Frank, how you doing? And we got to talking. He asked where my family was, and I said I was home alone for the weekend. You know, I'd work. He's like, well, what do you do? I was like, oh, here's, here it goes. I'm a pastor. What? I'm a pastor. Oh, I didn't know that. And I thought, that's it. Done. Never going to talk to Frank again. He's like, well, tell me about how you got into that. Here's the vulnerability piece. I'm like, well, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to tell him a little of my story. So I started to tell my story. We're like literally standing. There's no sidewalk in my neighborhood. Like we're standing in the street. And uh, I start to talk to him about like, you know, how I got into this life of faith and in a boom. Like it wasn't even like he started asking questions about Jesus. He just started to talk, like share about how he'd been in jail and then he's come to live with his son. He's literally living in a car for a year in front of his son's house in our neighborhood commuting every day to Burien. He's, but, but in the midst of all that, 
This is crazy because I've talked to him like three times. He experienced more freedom from addiction, more peace, more community, and more rest in our neighborhood for a year than he'd ever experienced in his life. Because of like the Van Osses that live next to us and Tim taking him to Roosevelt Ale House and we invited him over for a barbecue once and some things like that. And right now he's really scared about this. He has to move in November because his son's like, hey dad, it's been like a year and I'm tired of you living in your car in front of my house. Get an apartment. And he's scared and he's like, and I, and I, think, I think what he's telling me is like, hey, you know, you're a pastor. Can you do something? So I said, hey, well, we can pray about that. And I, then I said what I said to you this morning, uh, this is your family, this neighborhood. We're your family. We, we, we believe in you. And so let's, let's work on that, you know. And he's just like, just short of like, you know, blue-collar guy, not quite crying, but like you, know, you could see his eyes are a little wet like mine. And we just prayed there. It was amazingly powerful. That was just last night. Powerful vulnerability. That just felt like walls were coming down in our relationship, in our life, in our neighborhood. So that's the first posture, okay? The posture of vulnerability. We can all be vulnerable. We just have to risk that. The second is a posture of dependency. So Jesus in verse 4 says, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals with you. Take nothing. Like, so anyone who travels knows when you're taking a flight somewhere or you're backpacking for a weekend or whatever, uh, you, you know that that's just par for the course. You take a bag, whether it's overnight or for a week. You take extra clothing and food. Like whenever I mentor people who go on, like through Bethany Wilderness, what do I teach them? Ten essentials. There are ten things you must have. And by the way, not just you, but every person in the group has to have the ten essentials because you never know, right? So that means ten first aid kits, ten headlamps, ten ways to start a fire, ten puffy coats. Like it just goes like that. But not so with Jesus. Not ten, not one. Nothing. Take nothing with you. No bag filled with supplies, not a purse, not a wallet, no sandals. And did you notice that little detail? Don't take any sandals with you. Like, I mean, seriously, these roads they're walking on are filled with manure and human waste. I'm, and it's hot and it's dusty. Like, Jesus, have you ever, like, walked anywhere? Like, you don't not, you just, you wear things on your feet because it's gross. And Jesus is saying, no, go without them. Go with nothing. Take nothing. Which is, I think is his simply way of saying, like, Go with needs. <laughs> Go with needs. Very countercultural for us, right? We're very independent. Thing. We, like, we love to come to church looking like we got all our needs met. How you doing? Good. Like, how, how would that go if people asked you how you're doing? You said, well, I've, these things aren't happening in my life. Can you help me? You know? <laughs> you know, like Frank last night. I'm losing a place to live. Can you help me? Go with needs. And, by the way, go ready to receive. Did you notice this? Whenever you get to a house, eat what they put in front of you. So they go with needs. They've got no money. Uh, and then, by the way, you're just going dependently. Receive. Uh, a friend of mine, I was on a mission, leading a mission trip with some students, and I uh, used to be a youth pastor. And this friend of mine, we were out there. He's leading it with me. And then we have all the students together. We're getting kind of prepping for the week ahead. You know, we're going to build houses in Tijuana. And he says to this group of kids, uh, he says, is it, let me ask you a question. First night, is it better to give or to receive? And these were all good Christian kids. They've been raised in the church. And of course, oh yeah, give, give, give. It's always better to give. The pastor's always talking about giving. You know what he said next? Then allow those on this trip whom we meet to be blessed by giving to you. Go with needs. Open your hands up. Receive. Like, come in a posture of dependency. Like, 
Be, are you ready to receive? Like, receive the food that's put in front of you. This is, by the way, in Greek, is the, the word when he says, eat what's put before you, that literal meaning of that word is eat what's put in front of you. Like, like people are going to put things in front of you, and Jesus says, eat it. It's an imperative. Like, he's saying, like you'd say to your kids, eat your peas. <laughs> like, eat what's put in front of you. Uh, and it's something you will do, Jesus is saying, only, though, if you have space in your life for it. If you're not trying to meet all your own needs, which raises this question for us right here, Bethany Northeast. Is there space in your life right now to receive what God wants to offer you through others? Like, do you have space? Are you, do you have some needs? Or are you trying to meet them all yourself? Like, how in your life are you allowing others to help you and to serve you and to bless you? Are you able to receive? And this is hard for us to not try and take care of ourselves and do it all ourselves. This is why we did this dedication with Ansel because it's a way of Joel and Daniel standing here and I hope you all can recognize this in yourself and saying, we have needs. We could probably raise this kid and be perfect. No, we have needs and we want you to help us raise this child with us. With us. Make sense? That's the second posture, the posture of dependency. Here's the last one, the posture of blessing. So Jesus says, when you get to a house, say peace to the house. Peace to the house. So sent ones enter the places that God sends them, whether that's a town in this context or in our context, like a, a, a workplace or to a neighbor's house or to a bar or a school or whatever, a particular restaurant, your hair salon, wherever you go, wherever you frequent, you enter those places in order to bless those places. That's what Jesus is saying here. Be a blessing. Say peace to the house. The greeting peace in that culture, in the language, literal language is the greeting shalom. It's the Hebrew word shalom. So you'd walk in and say, shalom. Uh, you hear this in Muslim context, salam aleikum. They often say this very similar phrase to each other. And then they'll return it, malaikum salam. Peace be with you. Which is just a way of saying, may God be with you may, and make you and this place and your family and this school whole. Shalom means to, to be whole. May God make you whole. May God weave your life together, right, full of justice and joy and, and a rich presence of his grace. Jesus is saying, go into people's lives and do that. We can all do that, right? Uh, so, and this means that disciples are sent to represent the reality of God's grace to the world. Peace be with you, Jesus would invite us to do. Uh, Barbara Ann Taylor has this book that my wife's reading right now called An Altar in the World. It's a really cool little book. Um, and uh, she talks about this idea to pronounce a blessing in people's lives, she says to pronounce a blessing on something is to see it from a divine perspective. To pronounce a blessing is to participate in God's initiative. Remember, God is the sending God. God is the one on mission. We're joining him. To pronounce a blessing is to share God's own audacity for people. God is audacious about people. And you're just participating in that, sharing in that. Pronouncing a blessing, she says, puts you as close to God as you can get. Because if God is at work in someone's life and you just say, peace be with you, you're getting so close to God. You can even feel him. It's literally to beseech, even recognize the favor of God in someone's life. So there's, just like there's power and vulnerability, there's also power and blessing. Uh, so my question for you is, how much you stand in a posture of blessing toward the people in your life, not just the believers who are gathered here, but people in your life who may be non-believers, unbelievers. I've shared a lot. This is very hard for me and my family. Don't have a, a family of belief, you could say. Not going to church each week. How can I say to them, I see God at work in you. I see God at work in your, in your home, and I see immense beauty and grace resting on your life. That's a big stretch. 
And I just feel Jesus inviting us to do that. The kingdom of God has come near. Peace be with you. It could be the way you tip people when you're in a restaurant. Just being audacious. Hey, I want to bless you. Uh, it could be in your conversations with the people in your workplace and just the attentiveness to their lives. Uh, it could be how you speak to the lives of your children or critically the children in our church, just blessing them, blessing them, blessing them. It could be that neighbor on the street like Frank, just saying, I'm going to cross the street. I don't know what's going to happen. Let me bless you. Peace be with you. There's so many ways to say, God is at work in you right now. I see that. And it's rich, right? So, Put yourselves in the shoes of these average everyday disciples, eating with absolute strangers, pronouncing blessings on their lives, being deeply, deeply vulnerable. It's pressure off. I mean, maybe a little bit. The, the passage just teaches us, churches of all stripes, Christians of all stripes, a ton of what it means to join God in his mission. And, and yet, there's one more thing. And this is this motivation that has to govern all mission. I'll end with this really quickly. So that Notice I didn't talk about they're told to heal the sick. <laughs> it's another thing you could go do. And that's amazing. Talk about that in verse, verse 16. But then verse 17, they come back saying, yeah, we did that, Jesus. We zoned in on that one. Did you read, when, I, when we read that, did you notice that? They, they, go away, they go away, they come back, they say, Jesus, it worked. Like we, we delivered people from demon possession. We healed them. They're free from addictive, addiction and bondage. They profess their faith in you. It's amazing, Jesus. So cool. And what did Jesus say next? In verse 18, he's, he's this, this is Doug moment from the movie Up, like, squirrel. He goes, I saw Satan fall. And you're like, were you listening just now, Jesus? Like, we were talking about healing people and stuff. And then in verse 20, he says, do not rejoice in all those things that you just did. But instead rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay, so there's two really central motivations that has to govern all mission. Vulnerability, blessing, dependency, all that stuff have to be governed by these two things, okay? Look at what he says in verse 16, real quick. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me and the one who sent me, the Father, okay? Do you see the point here? The mission of God, like I've already said, is not about us. It's about God. Like Jürgen Maltman said, it's the mission of the Son, the Spirit, and the Father that includes the church. We are included in this mission. And thus, when there's response to Revelation... You know, I, I invite you to close your hands, or close your eyes, raise your hands, and people do that. Thanks be to God. Response to Revelation. And when there isn't, it's not on me. It's not on you. It's not your mission. It's about the presence of God, the voice of God, the power of God, the rule and the reign of God, just trusting God to do his work in his time, in, in his manner of choosing. Uh, David Fitch, who has this little book that I've been reading called uh, Faithful Presence, he says this, in our humility and our submission to what God is doing in a place, we clear space for the kingdom. We just clear space for Jesus to become present. And by being humbly present, we can discern his presence and point to its breaking in. We just discern it and we point to it breaking in. But it's not about us. And I love that. God is at work and our presence is a means by which we open up space for people to recognize and respond to that work. That's it. There's a flip side, though. Here's the second motivation that has to govern this. This bizarre ending where Jesus says, I saw Satan fall, and then says, don't rejoice in all the stuff you've done or not done. Rejoice that your names are written. Jesus is re re reminding them, reminding us of this central truth 
that has to be at the core of all of our lives, okay? And if you hear nothing else, hear this this morning. This is the invitation that governs everything, all living, all mission, all faith, all life, that we are known. We are known to know Christ as the one who's sent by the Father in love, and then to be known to, as the one for whom Christ lived and walked the earth. Like, Jesus walked the earth for each of us, and then took great pains to gather people that would become the forefathers and foremothers of our church, and then died and rose so that his life could be inside our lives, and, and, and course through our veins. And then when we speak to people like Frank, that there is this wild connection to grace. That's the work of Jesus, knowing and being known. As Henry Nowen says somewhere, he says that our calling every day is to pull that reality down into our lives, in our relationships, through our circumstances and our failures and our successes, to say, I am beloved. I am loved. You know me. You want to know me. Don't rejoice the demons submit to you. Don't rejoice in the answers to your prayers. Don't re- worry about who listens to you and who doesn't listen to you. Don't rejoice or worry about who, how many people are here on Sunday, Jack, <laughs> or who believe in Jesus. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. You are known. The point here is that you, you are saved. You are, Jesus invites you into intimacy with God, to walk with God, promises you freedom with God. Isn't that amazing? We can rejoice in that. And that's what we have to offer as we go, that knowledge that we're known the promise of freedom and life extended by the God of heaven. So here's what I want you to do by way of response, okay? This isn't in your bulletin, I'm bummed, but I'm going to invite you to sort of a, a guided meditation, okay? So if you're okay with it, I'm not going to have anybody raise your hands. Don't worry about this. But if it helps you hear the words I'm saying now is different than what I just said, go ahead and close your eyes, okay? Because I want to invite you to reflect on some things I've said. Just take a moment and let all those words, I, just, I don't know, thousands of words I just said over you, just let those settle now like dust. You'll hear some voices around, some children. So here's what Jesus says, though, in verse 2 of Luke 10. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So here's what I want you to do. Just, you're here. Take a moment to ask Jesus, are you sending me? Are you sending me in a new way? Are you asking me to take a new step And I should have said, this may be hard to do in a big group like this, so I invite you to try this at home as well. Ask the Lord of the harvest, are you sending me? As the Father sent me, so I send you. He wants to send you. Is he sending you now? Is now the time? But remember, Jesus has a place he's going. All the towns and cities he was going to go himself. So here's the question. And I would really love to have you fill this into your life somewhere. Where is he sending you? If he is going to send you, where? Is, it, is there a family in your neighborhood? Uh, is it your children's school? 
Perhaps it's a place of influence right now, a board that you're on, an organization you're involved in. Where is he sending you? Here's the final thing. When they get to the towns they're going to go to, they always encounter people. And so here's the question, who? Who in those contexts has God designed you to be a unique communicator of God's grace to and toward those franks of our city? As you think of those places where you know God's sending you, is there anyone where you know that you know that you know there's an opportunity right now just in front of you to just walk across the street and bless I'm going to pray over us and then we'll respond by singing together. But I want to invite you in the, the coming week to take time to do that on your own. Is he sending you? Where is he sending you? Who is he sending you to? It's really simple. My answer, it's always going to be different. <laughs> and that's beautiful. Because that means there's hundreds of people out there that God wants to bless. Let's pray. God, thank you that you do invite us in into relationship, into intimacy with you, and that we experience profound things, very personal things through that encounter with you. And then thank you as well for the challenge to go out as you into the world. Thank you for the ways in which you shaped that going here in Luke 10. So all these words that I've even spoken, the words you've been speaking through your scripture now, God, would they settle into our hearts as we respond? Would you now minister to us, Lord? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.